Varlamov making some outstanding saves. Because I literally went, whoa! I'm not ready to declare that, you know, everything is all right in Kumbaya on the power play. You ride that wave of emotion because the fans are loud. GIF. Or is it GIF? Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 70. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday and also via Newsday Islanders text, which is your direct connection to some one-on-one communication with me and other Newsday staffers who are covering the team. You can text 631 631- 303-3766, uh, that number again, text 631-303-3766, or go to newsday.com backslash IELTS text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And this will be an on-team episode, a, a phrase I, I picked up a long time ago from my mom, as it's just me, you, and some of your questions in this episode. Uh, uh, first, a quick story about mom. Uh, she tries to listen to every episode, even though she is decidedly not a hockey fan. Uh, she's she's more of a me fan. Uh, so a- after she listened to episode 69, uh, if you remember, there was a discussion between my good friend and Newsday Rangers writer, Colin Stevenson, and myself about our wives not listening to us on the podcast when we do an episode together. Uh, so a couple of days later, mom gave me a call, which I, I, I put on speaker so both my wife and I, uh, could talk to her and, and mom starts out with, you know, Maybe on your next episode, you could mention your mother listens to the, to the podcast instead of the fact that your wife doesn't listen to the podcast, uh, we, we, which was funny because I had not really mentioned to my wife, Colin and I had had, had that discussion uh, on that episode. So, anywho, uh, look, the big story, of course, is, uh, is Governor... Andrew Cuomo announcing on Wednesday that starting February 23rd, sporting venues in New York State can resume allowing fans back in at 10% capacity. Uh, For the Coliseum, that's around 1,300 fans per game, I believe. Um, Look, any fans obviously will be a welcome sight for, for everybody, starting with the owners, of course, but very much including the players and, yes, the media. I, I miss you guys. Seriously, I, I miss you guys. It, it is eerie watching hockey in the Coliseum without fans. And, look, don't get me wrong. I am thrilled to to have that privilege and, and to get to attend live games after covering uh, uh, this summer's return to play postseason in those bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, I was covering that via TV. Um, so again, I'm privileged to be in the building. When I say it's eerie though, you know, there are the cardboard cutouts, there's the media, uh, and and we're kind of separated and, you know, and and that's about it. And they, they pump in some crowd noise and, and it's just, it's just eerie. I I know I keep coming back to that word, but uh, there's really no other way to describe it. Look, yeah, we all know the relationship with the fan base is integral to any hockey team, and certainly 
there's a very, very, very tight bond between the Islanders organization and, and its Long Island heavy fan base. There always has been. Going back to 1972 through the dynasty years, uh, the, the players were part of the community. And, and to a certain extent and to a, a large extent, that, that is still true to this day. And, and we'll discuss this more uh, in the upcoming Andrews Answers segment. Um, so as I speak, the Islanders have won two in a row and including the back-to-back overtime losses to end their 0-3-2 road trip, they have a four-game point streak at 2-0-2. Uh, so the water is now filling the glass at least half full again, right? Um, I know we, we had the chicken little sky is falling feeling, uh, particularly to the 0-3 start to that road trip. Uh, and even, you know, coming back home at 0-3-2, and 2, 2 out of 10 points, you know, yeah, you, you feel like certainly in a 56-game season where you can't afford long losing streaks, it, it did sort of feel bleak. Um, a, a much different feeling after uh, the last two games. Uh, and and there were a few things to like in both Monday's 2 two nothing win over the Rangers at Madison Square Garden and Saturday's 4-3 win over the Penguins at Nassau Coliseum. And first and foremost is Semyon Varlamov's goaltending, uh, particularly on Monday. As 30 saves later, he became the first goalie in Islanders team history to have two shutouts against the Rangers in one season. And and including the 24, that, that includes the 24 saves in the season opening 4 nothing win at the Garden on January 14th. Farley also had 28 saves against the Penguins coming out of that unexpected bye week with the two games against the Sabres uh, postponed. And, and then there's the fourth line scoring both goals against the Rangers in that third period. Uh, first Zizekas and then Martin. And that all comes after uh, Cal Clutterbuck's third period equalizer against the Penguins, which Clutter did point out was a quote-unquote big goal. And I've written this and I've said this before on the podcast and, and other it's almost not too simplistic to say that as this fourth line goes, so go the Islanders. And I think we saw that through the early part of the season is the identity line is, is they struggled to play to their identity. Uh, but the third period of, of both games, the identity line w- was up in the offensive zone. They were creating chances. They were being hard on the body. Uh, they were being hard on the body, particularly along the walls. And, and they were getting both their own bodies and the puck to the net and too often this season. And, and we saw it just before uh, Clutter's big goal uh, against the Penguins, that equalizer, when Jake Gensel uh, put the Penguins ahead, and and they he did that scoring uh, against the Sezikis line. Too often, uh, you know, earlier in the season, that line has has been in its defensive zone too much, and and, and that's not doing anybody any good. And I really liked the, uh, how again in the third period against the Rangers, one good shift begat another for the Islanders. And that's the way momentum builds and works in the NHL. The Barzell line would have a solid shift and the Nelson line would build upon that. They would keep the puck in the offensive zone. And the, and then the Pajot line would keep at it. And it, it, as Barry often describes it, it's it's waves. It's wave after wave and it wears the opposition down. 
uh, keeping the puck up ice like that. And and we saw that in the third period against the Rangers. They, they started coming in waves, and, and it led to those two goals by the Sezikis line. Uh, but, but it really started, and this is to bring it back to, to what I said at the beginning, with Varlamov making some outstanding saves. He stopped Artemi Panarin. Uh, on a breakaway, he stopped Mika Zabanejad off a Chris Kreider feed on a two-on-one rush. And just all game, Varlamov was well-positioned and tracking the puck through traffic. I, I particularly liked how uh, the puck would hit him. And that's what I kept thinking watching the game. The puck is just hitting Varley because he's constantly in the proper position. There, there, there was... No bounce on the puck, no rebounds in the low slot. Varley was just absorbing everything and and smothering it up. So so now it's on to Pittsburgh, as Barry Trotz so humbly and eloquently said uh, after the Rangers win, when he was asked about getting victory number 850 as an NHL coach, and that moves him past Ken Hitchcock and into third place on the NHL's all-time list for coaches' wins. And uh, by the way, Lou Lamarillo next. Uh, Lou Lamarillo's next win will be his 1300th as an NHL GM. And, and the league has confirmed that Trotz and Lamarillo uh, together, their combined wins are the most ever in league history for a GM-coach combo. Of course, uh, most of those wins, you know, coming elsewhere, Trotz. Uh, with, with the Capitals and and for a long, long time as the first coach of the Nashville Predators and and Lamarillo, of course, being with the uh, uh, New Jersey Devils from 1987 to 2015. But still, uh, you know, it, it's kind of neat that, you know, this is the combination that's now running, you know, your team. The, 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 they, they have the most ever wins, you know. Um, the, the, the Islanders play the Penguins six times in February, including all four of the scheduled games at the Coliseum. Huge games, huge games. And, and obviously, you know, I know I, I'm not trying to sell you there. I, obviously, every one of the 56 games this season are, are, are huge since they're all within the division. But look, I, I really think it, it could well come down to the Islanders and Penguins battling for the fourth and final playoff spot in the division. You know, uh, uh, if you think that, that the Capitals and and the Bruins, uh, who the, the Islanders are getting again at the Coliseum on Saturday, um, and they beat them one nothing in their home opener, um, you know, the, the, the Bruins are just playing better and better. Uh, the Flyers have been pretty good. It, it took the while, uh, a while for the Caps to lose in regulation. So, you know, I, it's not a given, but yeah, you know, I I've said, I, I certainly expect the flyers, uh, the caps and the Bruins to be in the playoffs. And I've said that I expect the Islanders to be that fourth team, uh, in the East division, but you know, uh, the penguins, you know, new leadership th- this week, uh, with, uh, Brian Burke taking over yet another team, uh, as the president of hockey operations and former uh, Flyers GM and former Flyers goalie and former Islanders goalie Ron Hextall uh, taking over as the Penguins GM. So uh, we'll see what that brain trust has in store, but they, they are very much committed to the 
uh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, uh, triumvirate. And that definitely makes the Penguins a win-now team uh, and not one building for the future. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was funny uh, after the Saturday game, I think I tweeted this out, but Dan Rosen of NHL.com uh, started a question to Barry Trotz with, you know, Sidney Crosby is in his 16th year in the NHL, and I literally, thank God I was on mute, because I literally went, whoa, you know, I I know that, but when you hear it out loud, it's it, it, you get the reaction like I just had, just whoa, you know, 16 seasons, where where does the time go? Honestly, I mean, I, I know we all feel that. Um, I, I know life seems a little bit slower through a COVID pandemic, but, you know, geez, as I tweeted out, you know, if Sidney Crosby has been in the league that long, that means I am much, much older than I really think I am and, and probably how I really act. But <laughs> uh, anyway, um Big games against the Penguins, and and Barry Trotz was also asked about playing all those games against the Penguins, and and it was a good answer, so I'm just going to read it. Uh, it will start with the quotation marks, which I'm making in the air, which you cannot see. Uh, Barry said, well, I think you take the playoff approach. The good thing is the prep to play gets shortened, getting familiar with the team and their tendencies. The thing as coaches you're talking about, the players are seeing firsthand almost every second day because you play them so much. It sort of takes on a little bit of a playoff preparation. We did a couple of drills today, and this is, is Wednesday. Uh, certain things the, the Rangers do that the Penguins do. Uh, let the players know, hey, this will be important for tomorrow. It's that whole process. We're going to wind up playing them six times in a three-week span. So we'll get really familiar with them, and they're a good team. Uh, all all very true. Um, the Islanders are, are also supposed to play two games at Buffalo on Monday and Tuesday, and and certainly keeping our fingers crossed on this one. Uh, the Sabres were cleared to resume practicing on Tuesday, but they have not played since January 31st, and they still had nine players on the NHL's COVID protocol list as of Wednesday. Uh, as I mentioned before, two games at the Coliseum against the Sabres were already uh, rescheduled. Uh, so... Uh, it's supposed to be a four-game trip, two games at Buffalo and, and two at Pittsburgh. Um, but we, you know, we'll, we'll probably have to check in Sunday to see if uh, the Islanders team flight up to Buffalo is a go. Uh, but however, the Sabres getting cleared to resume practicing was, a, I, I thought, a pretty good sign and a pretty good omen that perhaps those games would take place. And at some point, Anthony Beauvillier will be back in the Islanders lineup. As of Wednesday, he had not yet resumed skating with the team, but he has been skating on his own uh, for about a week. And Trotz has talked about Bo having a smile on his face and Bo being available very soon, but he's been saying that for a few days. Uh, Bo just needs to get in 
a, a couple of practices with the team, maybe just one, but at least one before rejoining the lineup. And again, this is a subject we'll tackle more in Andrew's answers coming up. But before then, just a, a couple of other observations. Uh, the Islanders only got one power play against the Rangers, and it came late in the third period with the Islanders up to nothing. But they got off two shots, and there was some good puck movement again. And and I say again because the Islanders scored the winner uh, against the Penguins on Saturday on Anders Lee's power play goal at 17-16 of the third period. And that was almost, uh, you know, 61 seconds of textbook man advantage play. There, there was good passing. They, they, they got the Penguins' penalty killers to, to, to move uh, and, and not just gum up the shooting lanes. And the Islanders were looking for shots. Uh, which is something Barry Trotz emphasized over and over again as they uh, uh, they worked heavily on special teams during that unexpected bye week after the Tuesday and Thursday games against the Sabres were canceled. They, 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 they had long special teams power play uh, drills in, in each of those, those three practices that week. And, and I think you really saw it in the game uh, uh, against the Penguins as they scored on, on Andrews Lee's power play winner. And again, it, it, to me, it was a good sign that they had that, you know, even though they were 0 for 1 against the Rangers, I, I saw a lot of things on that power play that I had seen against the Penguins. And, you know, it, it, we've heard a lot of a lot of this over Barry Trotz's first two seasons where the power play is not going and Barry says you got to have a shoot first mentality and they seem to have it for a little bit but then it doesn't stick so you know I, I'm not ready to declare that you know everything is all right and kumbaya on the power play but I, I was encouraged by what I saw you know in those two minutes against the Rangers. So, you know, we'll we'll see against the Penguins and going forward whether they can maintain that that shoot first mentality and and, and keep going with it. But uh, uh, you know, like I said, they 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 the good passing, the the getting the penalty killers to move, and and the Islanders were looking for shots, uh, you know, and and the winning goal came as Lee as Anders Lee cleaned up the rebound of uh, Ryan Pulak's hard shot from the left circle. And, you know, Pulak was uh, was talking about, you know, his new role uh, on the power play uh, on, the, on the Matthew Barzell unit. And he said he's getting comfortable with it. Um, and, of course, that's the role, you know, the office made famous by uh, uh, the Capitals' Alex Ovechkin, where, you know, everyone knows where he's going to be on the power play. The goalies know where he's shooting from. And yet he scores with consistency. Um, Trot said the next level for Pulak is getting a little bit more comfortable with some of the nuances of playing in that role, and that has to do with um, you know his his feet, uh, you know getting his feet in the proper position, getting his skates aligned properly, and that will help him handle, you know, less than perfect passes and still turn them into those shot opportunities that the Islanders need. And uh, finally, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, he played a team low 
957 against the Rangers, yet I, I really did think he was one of the most noticeable players on the ice. And true, Trotz only gave him one shift in the game's final two minutes as, as the Islanders took their two-goal lead. But, but Trotz, you know, is still praising Wallstrom's defensive efforts as well as his natural offensive instincts and the, and the physical play he can bring along the walls. And what, what I really liked is how confident Wallstrom seems to be in his play, particularly in the offensive zone, although he is, he, you can see he is paying attention to his play uh, away from the puck and off the puck, but, uh, you know, uh, up in the offensive zone, there, there was one shift which started, and it came off an offensive zone draw. Uh, Wallstrom was up along the blue line, not on the point. He was sort of, you know, maybe a third of the way along the blue line from the right point, and he got turned the wrong way away from the puck, and, and of course, the pass kind of went towards him, but it went right through him. But still, the puck stayed in the offensive zone, and he got knocked down twice on the shift by by high hits. He looked like you know he was you know a little bit shaken a couple of times, but he got right back up. Um, he lined up. Uh, he tried to line up a couple of checks uh, along the boards to separate Rangers from the pucks, and I just noticed he never stopped moving his skates. That was. The takeaway I, I got from that, and I, I also really liked a one sharp angle shot from the right, pretty much along with the goal line that uh, Wallstrom took. Uh, uh, Rangers goalie Igor Shesterkin stick that one aside, and it, it was noticeable for <laughs> how loud uh, the puck sounded coming off uh, Shesterkin's stick on that. Um, I, I, I liked it again because Wallstrom was looking always to get the puck toward the net, and that's where good things happen. Uh, he hit a post in the game. It, it was his second straight game on Jean-Gabriel Pajot's wing. Uh, Oliver Wallstrom can just add so much to this Islanders lineup. He, he can be that offensive threat with a blistering wrist shot and, and that offensive mentality. You know, coming into Thursday's game, he's only played 13 games in, in the NHL. Uh, right? Nine last season, four this season. But if he really gets going, the team has been looking what we all expect Oliver Wallstrom to be uh, for a while now. We'll be right back after this. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Isles Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Isles Text. Okay, and thanks to everyone who submitted questions for this episode, both via Newsday Islanders texts and via Twitter, because now it's time for Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. This comes to us via Newsday Islanders texts from uh, Michael Fernandez. He asked, does Michael Dalcall have a shot to stick on line number two? If he is successful there, 
it would deepen the lineup uh, if Bo plays with uh, Oliver Wallstrom and uh, Gigi Pajot. And yeah, uh, that's, uh, Michael, that's been the thinking I've had for a little bit. Um, yes, I, I think if Michael Dal Cole can consistently play the way he he did against the Penguins and the way he did against the Rangers. And, uh, you know, uh, he had, he had the two assists, right. Against the, uh, the Penguins. And that was, uh, his first multi-point game. And, and, you know, I, I know, and I hear this all the time. Uh, the feedback is he was a fifth overall pick. Why, why is this guy not producing more goals? And I, I think at this point, you got to get past the fact that he was a fifth, overall pick and just appreciate Michael Dow call for the player he is and he can be. Um, and, and I think you saw a really good example of what he can be in these two games. And that's, you know, I, I talked about Oliver Wallstrom before being, you know, hard along the walls and, and, and constantly moving his feet. Well, you know, Michael Dalcall is becoming a very gritty NHL player. And uh, he's got one of these motors, you know, again, to use a football coach uh, uh, phrase. He's got one of these motors that really doesn't have an off button uh, when he is playing well. And he is, you know, he uses his body very well and effectively uh, along the walls. And I know it's not the sexy kind of play you're hoping for out of a fifth overall pick, which is why I say you've got to get over it because Michael Dal Cole can contribute something that the Islanders need. And he, he has been effective on the Brock Nelson line with Jordan Eberle. And he is contributing, even if he's not potting goals, he is, he is creating some of the offense that, that Brock Nelson and Jordan Eberle are, are getting there. So does he have a chance to stick on, on Nelson's line? Yes, I do. And, and I hesitate to call it a line number two if, when Bo gets back, he's playing with, uh, with Pajot and Wallstrom. Because then I think, you know, a Pajot-Wallstrom-Beauvillier uh, line might be somewhat interchangeable with a nelson uh, Dal Call Eberly line. Uh, you, know, you know, lines, you know, 2A, 2B in a way. Uh, you know, the Barzell line is the top line. I, I think that's well established, whether it's Jordan Eberle or Josh Bailey there. It's well established that Matthew Barzell is going to be the top line. And we know with the Casey Sezikis, uh, Cal, uh, Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin line is, you know, the identity line. But yes, that's, you know, as you slot it, that's a fourth line. But uh, I, I really think it would deepen and balance out the lineup if Beauvillier uh, gets a chance to play with uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And I, I've been saying it for a while. I'm really curious to see what those two can do together because I, I think they think the game the same way. And I think they, they both skate very nicely together. Um, and, and they're both very cognizant of the two-way games. I think that could be a very, very, very uh, uh, smooth combination if they play there. And of course, Wallstrom sort of gives some of that uh, you know, goal potential with the, his wrist shot. Um, and now uh, we move on to a couple of Ilya Sorokin questions. And yes, I, I think we will pull out the Ilya Sorokin theme music. 
Via Newsday Islanders text, uh, Michael Tricarico um, uh, wants to know whether I think uh, or I envision the Islanders making a similar move. And this is uh, the the news, uh, Otto Koivula and Dmitro Timoshov being reassigned from the taxi squad to Bridgeport. Um, you know, Michael wants to know uh, whether... Uh, I see a similar move with Sorokin in order to try and get him some playing time. And uh, Jeff D'Amico via Twitter also is wondering the same things, whether there are any plans for Sorokin to go down to Bridgeport for playing time uh, to acclimate to the North American game. And the first thing here is Ilya Sorokin is waivers exempt. So this is a move Lou Lamarillo could make. Uh, if he wanted to get Ilya some some games down in Bridgeport. Um, and you know what? I, I don't think it's a crazy notion. Uh, but, you know, for now, it, you know, Bridgeport has only played the two games. Their training camp, obviously, you know, started after, uh, you know, the Islanders got going here. Um, and... You know, Barry's talked about this a couple of times about how weird it is for Ilya Sorokin to try and acclimate under these conditions. You know, he practiced with them for the six weeks or whatever it was in the playoff bubbles, first in Toronto and then in Edmonton, but he was ineligible to play. Now he's eligible eligible to play, but there's no preseason, right? So you you think Sorokin would have got a heavy dose of trying to get acclimated in the preseason. He has to do it all through practice and working with Mitch Korn, the director of goaltending and goalie coach Piero Greco. Um you know, and I did talk to Barry. I asked him point blank, I think, whether, you know, not whether there was a chance of Sorokin, uh, you know, going down, but whether, you know, under different circumstances, Sorokin might have started out in the AHL. And, and Barry sort of agreed with, you know, that might have been the case, certainly with Corey Schneider in the fold as well. Um if Sorokin goes down, Mitch Korn and Piero, you know, Mitch Korn uh, in particular, because Piero Greco will stay here with the main squad as the goalie coach. Um, but Mitch Korn could go down and, you know, spend a couple of days in, in the Bridgeport area still working with Ilya Sorokin. But, you know, it, it, it's just weird. The Sound Tigers are, they're only playing 24 games between now and and May 8th. So, you know, there's not a lot of playing time down there either. And, you know, Barry Trotz was saying in the, in the 56 game season with, uh, with a premium on getting points uh, out of everything, you know, it, it really does seem like Semyon Varlamov is going to get the bulk of the games. Uh, you know, it could be as much as 65, 70% of the games this season uh, if Varley continues to play that well. So, no, I, I would not rule out uh, Sorokin going down to Bridgeport uh, to get a game or two. Uh, are there plans? Not that I know of right now. And, uh, you know, Barry Trotz did say at the beginning of the season, and he was talking more about Corey Schneider, who uh, would require waivers, uh, you know, to to even be put 
uh, on the taxi squad, uh, Barry Trotz said he envisioned carrying the three goalies for, for the whole season there. So, you know, uh, we'll see how it develops there. But uh, I, I don't think it's a crazy notion to think Sorokin might get uh, a game in or two um, at some point. Uh, uh, Will Forthman uh, via Twitter says, I'm glad the fourth line is starting to go. But how much more of a spark would be would having some fans return to the building really help those guys since the playoff bubble? I felt like the lack of fans hurt them the most. Um, and, and this is the start of a, a, a few questions about having fans in the building. Um, I actually liked the way they played in the postseason. I mean, what Matt Martin scored five goals. Um, I, I I don't necessarily feel like they were hurt in the in the playoff bubble. Uh, the lack of fans. Um, yeah, you know, all players gain something from from the fans. They gain some motivation. And Cal Clutterbuck, I believe, was one of the players talking about it recently. You know, you you score a goal, and with fans in the uh, in the building, you know, in your home building, you you ride that wave of emotion because the fans are loud, and you know it just carries forward for the most part. But now without fans in the stands. Uh, you know, you got to kind of create a, a, Cal was describing it as you mentally get ready. You have to get yourself mentally ready for that next shift to be at that same level. Whereas, you know, in the past, the fans would help you get there. Um, I, I, I don't know whether it was not having the fans in the building that was keeping the Sezikis line from having much consistency. I, I just think it was them getting off to a slow start what for whatever reason uh you know again you know maybe it was the no preseason games although you you think that would affect the uh the veterans less but it it just seemed to take them a while to kind of get in sync with each other and and, and be able to connect on passes and connect on checks um and, and get going uh, you know I'm not completely discounting the the effect of no fans because I think it affects everyone on on the team. Um, Sticking with that theme, Michael Cav says, will only season ticket holders get first dibs on the tickets? Will the ordinary fan get to attend a game without having to shell out two weeks pay? Uh, Also via Twitter, CM Isles fan 518 says, is there going to be any set number for non-season ticket holders, or if every ticket is filled uh, by season ticket holders, will no one else be able to go? Um, I do not have any definitive facts on this beyond the statement from the Islanders that they put out uh, very shortly after uh, Governor Cuomo made his uh, announcement. And this is quote-unquote from the Islanders, Season ticket members always receive first access to tickets when they are available. So yes, uh, you know, if there are 1,300 tickets or or roundabouts there, 1,300 uh, available for each game, the season ticket holders will get first dibs to to take up those. And uh, I I sort of imagine, you know, the, the season ticket uh, a fan base will will get most of those seats probably 
uh, on a game-by-game -game basis. And uh, I don't know what the price plans are yet uh, for the tickets. I, I don't know. Um, I have not gotten that information yet. Uh, I do, look, the owners are trying to recoup some money here. And it's not just Scott Malcolm and uh, Malcolm and, and John Ledecky, but all owners, all 31 owners here uh, are looking to recoup some of the, their losses for this season. So, yeah, I, I do expect tickets to be pricey, uh, to, to have the right to be one of the 1,300 in the building. Uh, some more questions about fans in the building. Cat uh, uh, via Twitter asks, uh, I wonder with the prospect of more stringent rules on the horizon for players and staff, how they feel about fans in the stands. And uh, look, they're not going to be, <laughs> they're not going to be one row away from the bench. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the closest in the building, you know, the, uh, the media, uh, me, uh, you know, and the broadcasters, we are set up at tables uh, in, in that concourse between the lower and upper bowl. Um, so that's pretty, other than I think three photographers who are allowed, uh, you know, uh, by the glass uh, in shooting positions. That's, you know, that's that's where people are. Now, obviously, you know, there's the, the, the ice crew is down there and, you uh, uh, the 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 off ice officials, you know the uh, the ones working the penalty box, that type of stuff. They are closer to the players, but fans are in no way going to be close to the players at all. Um, everything, every time we've asked players about having uh, you know fans in the stands, they are all for it. Uh, they like you know referring back to my you know previous answer. They they will even even thirteen hundred fans, you know, clapping. It's going to sound going from no fans in the stands to like you know thirteen hundred. It's going to sound like a tidal wave, you know, uh, comparatively real real applause, real cheers compared to pumped in noise. It will be very noticeable. I know it's something that the players and coaches are are looking forward to it. it but cat it, it it is a a, a pretty good point that you know you see all these NHL teams that are having uh, COVID issues. You know the Sabers on hiatus, the Devils are on hiatus. Now the Flyers have a some players who tested positive. They you know they they just had a game their Saturday game I believe it is against the Rangers postponed. It's a good point and it's it's an important point. But, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, it's going to be well socially distanced is probably the way, uh, you know, I, I could put it best. And, and then also Jay Moore via Twitter says, does a person need to take uh, a test if they received both vaccine shots? Clear question. Uh, people need answered, not opinions, just straightforward. What is the rule? If you're asking me about... Um, getting into the Coliseum, which I believe would be the case here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can just show them a vaccine card and walk into the building. You're going to have to uh, go through all the same protocols that any other person would have to go through. And the reason for that is simple, is even though, you know, there's a high percentage of efficacy 
with these vaccines, it's not 100% efficacy. So, you know, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, just being able to say, uh, hey, I, I got a vaccine, I'm good to go. No, that that is not the case. And, and that is not just at the Coliseum, even after getting vaccines, the recommendations are still wearing the masks and still following the protocols. And we are, we are a long, long, long way from, from putting this pandemic to bed. So moving away from the Coliseum and fans in the building, uh, Jay LeBlast via Twitter says, uh, cap flexibility for free agents in the coming years. I, I don't know how much cap flexibility there will be, uh, just being honest with you, especially with the flat cap. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, not only for next season, but for the next two seasons, we may be stuck at $81.5 million. Uh, There's not going to be a lot of cap flexibility. However, however, uh, that could all change. I mean, obviously it could change if Lou is somehow able to trade uh, one of his larger contracts, but it could also change based upon who the Seattle Kraken take in the expansion draft. Um, you know, if Josh Bailey, for instance, is not protected, do, do the Kraken take on him and, and his salary cap hit? And, and that would help the Islanders, uh, you know, maybe not on the ice, but it would help them in the ledgers with, with, with some more cap flexibility. So as it stands right now, no, there's not, I don't think there's going to be a ton of cap flexibility for free agent in the next, you know, off season or two, but there is flexibility to, to get more flexibility. If, if you follow what I'm saying, um, DG via Twitter says, what are your thoughts on Letty Mayfield thus far? Any inkling as to how married Trotz is to this pair? And I, I think he's married to the pair. Um, and, you know, uh, Trotz was just asked about Letty Mayfield. Uh, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, recently within, you know, one of his last two Zooms. And uh, it may have been on Wednesday. And, and Trotz did say that, yeah, you know, uh, what we're seeing is what their numbers are showing is that Letty and Mayfield have had some rough games together. Uh, They just don't seem as tight defensively as they need to be. Um, You know, know, they've contributed up the ice, uh, you know, a little bit and, uh, and Nick Letty can still skate the heck out of the puck, but defensively, yeah, they've been noticeable in, in, in more of a bad way at stretches, but I, I still think Trotz is not going to break the pair up, uh, for, for two reasons. One, he said he's going to ride this top six, uh, the defenseman he's been using, that's, uh, uh, you know, Adam Pellick. Ryan Pulak and uh, Nick Letty, Scott Mayfield, and Andy Green, Noah Dobson. Those are his top six, and he's sticking with them. And uh, I think Trotz would probably not be prone to tinkering with Letty Mayfield only because I think he likes the other two pairs uh, that much, and he doesn't want to mess with those two. So uh, sort of by default for now, I think Letty and Mayfield do stick together. Um, uh, 
Let's see. I roll dot gif. Or is it jif? Uh, I guess we could do a whole episode on whether it's gif or jif. But uh, with Josh Hosang most likely being gone after the season. And yeah, how many times have we said that? But, you know, Josh Hosang, you know, I don't know if he comes back from this one. Uh, you saw the news that uh, uh, his his Swedish hockey league team uh, released him or, or cut ties with him because, uh, you know, I, I they didn't like the shape he was in, basically. Um, now, also, you know, you, you heard... Chris Lamarillo, or you heard, uh, I mean, I, I heard Chris Lamarillo when I asked him the question uh, on a Zoom, uh, the, the Bridgeport GM and, uh, you know, his father's assistant GM saying that the door was not closed to Hosang in the organization this season. And, you know, even, you know, and this was before uh, Josh got cut from his Swedish team that, you know, that there was sort of an open door and he could be brought back at any point. Now, uh, I, I don't know whether Chris was just kind of giving lip service there and not wanting to diminish any trade value that Josh Hosang has, although at this point it really seems like he has none. Anyway, that's not the point of the question. I rolled dot gif slash gif. Uh, really wants to know, with Josh Hosang most likely being gone after the season, who will take on his mantle of being, quote-unquote, prospect that the team just can't make work. And let me just say, uh, first of all, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a tough question because, you know, it would have me saying, you know, oh, this guy stinks, right, <laughs> is basically what you're asking me to say. Um I think Josh Hosang is a special case, just with all the hype that he came into the organization with. Um, you do get glimpses of, you know, what is seemingly, you know, elite offensive instincts, right? It, it hasn't really come together uh, in NHL regular season play, but, you know, you see it. You see the glimpses of what he can do and, and how magical he can be on his skates and with his passing and his stick work. And you, you just wonder why it's not working. Um, you know, obviously there have been uh, some other issues, but as far as who will take on his mantle prospect, the team just can't make work. Like I said, I, I think Josh Hosang is a special case just because of how much has been written and how much interest there is in him and how much, you know, it's it sort of like just blew up on itself and everyone expected him to be a top line wing or, you know, one of, you know, an NHL all-star. And uh, this is all very disappointing that it, it Josh seemingly can't get it together uh, or the organization is not giving him a chance to get it together, whatever the case. Uh, I, I think Josh Hosang is, is a very special case of prospect team just can't make work. Look, you, you always look at the first rounders. So, you know, four years from now, if Simon Holmstrom has not contributed on the NHL level, you're going to say, boy, that was a prospect the team just couldn't make work. But I don't know that Simon Holmstrom is not getting to the NHL. Um, and, and I'm not even suggesting that. I'm just using that as an example. Uh, you know, if Bodie Wild, even though not a first-round pick, you know, if Bodie Wild 
uh, doesn't make the NHL. You're, you're going to think, boy, that was a prospect that the team just couldn't make work. But uh, I, I, I don't think there's anyone on the precipice of taking the Josh Hosang mantle uh, for whatever that's worth. And, and sticking on that Josh Hosang theme, Steve Double, Steve Double W., Oh, that that is tougher to say than I thought it would be. Um, anyway, he asks, will we ever hear the full Josh Hosang story? He slept in for the start of camp like five years ago. Three coaches, two general managers. Why has he been exiled by the Islanders? And, you know, when you ask about the full Josh Hosang story, uh, you know, you're, what you're really asking for is, you know, which coach did he mouth off to? You know, who did he give attitude to? What kind of shape was he in? You know, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it's not just Garth Snow. It's not just Lou Lamarillo. It's not just Dougie Waite. It's not just Barry Trotz. There's there is a history now of, you know, Josh Hosang not winning over the coaching staff, and the brain trust. And it, it seems to be a litany of different things. I mean, you know, with, with Barry Trotz, honestly, I, I think it just, a lot of it comes down to he doesn't trust the guy defensively. And if Barry Trotz does not trust you defensively, you're not going to play in the NHL. Um, is there some behind-the-stuff scenes? Yeah, I mean... I don't think Lou Lamarillo was very pleased with uh, Josh Hosang's trade request. Uh, I know Lou wasn't happy with Josh's trade request after not making the team at a training camp, uh, you know, not this season, the prior season. You know, uh, being loaned to a couple of different organizations, uh, uh, you know, I I, I just think there's, you know, uh, just a few things there. And I, I don't know if when you say the full Josh Hosang story, I don't know how much you're really missing out on, to be honest with you. I, I think I think you've heard a lot of uh, of the stories uh, by now. So, OK, that is it for episode 70. And thanks to everyone for submitting questions. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please go to Newsday.com backslash aisles for all of our coverage and for Newsday Islanders text, text 631-303-3766. That number again, you can text 631-303-3766 or you can go to newsday.com backslash text to start your 14-day trial subscription. Happy hockey, everybody.